You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Save a Pooch on Pet Life Radio. I am Beverly Isla, your host. Thank you for tuning in. And this show will focus on canine behavior and the work of renowned veterinarian, Dr. Nicholas Dodman. And uh, well, he authors many scientific journals and best-selling books. He's a professor at the Cummings School of Veterinary Medicine at Tufts University. He's also a specialist in pharmacologic control in animal behavior and chief scientific officer at the Center for Canine Behavior Studies. He's also a regular expert on radio and television for his work, including 2020, Oprah, The Today Show, Good Morning America, and many more. So when we get back from these messages, we will have Dr. Dodman talk to us about his specialty and how it can help rescue dogs. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com Welcome back to Save a Pooch. We are talking with one of the world's celebrated veterinary behaviorists, Dr. Nicholas Dodman. Hi, Dr. Dodman. Thank you for coming on. Hey, Beverly. Thanks for having me. Now, you have quite an accomplished career, and it's great to know you are making great strides in helping the animals. Uh, you've been with Tufts University School of Veterinary for over three decades. What made you um, specialize in behavior pharmacology and animal behavior? Well, it was actually that the first part of my veterinarian life was as a veterinary anesthesiologist. Um, oh, interesting. You know, I was kind of drawn into that because I really wanted to be a veterinary surgeon, you know, cutting. Uh-huh. And I did what well, I was for a year and a half. At the beginning, I did a lot of surgery. And then I went, I went back to Glasgow University as, at the time, I think the youngest, certainly, veterinary faculty member in the country. And wow. I was very proud to be a faculty member so young in a department of surgery and anesthesia. And then they, they kind of pushed me into taking charge of the anesthesia and the anesthesia teaching and the mentoring of students. And eventually I set a specialty qualification in it, but it never did feel quite right to me. But that's where I learned about you know, anesthesia really is the study of drugs and function. Yes. And after I had arrived in the United States, that was my ticket to ride to get here. At oh. in 1981, I was an anesthesiologist, and I anesthetized all kinds of things from potteroos to pigs and horses and stuff. Yeah, so I was very familiar with drugs and function, and it was through drugs and function that I discovered, along with uh, Professor Lou Schuster from Tufts also, uh-huh. that you could stop horses from cribbing using an opioid or narcotic antagonist. And Did you say cribbing? 
cribbing. Oh, cribbing. Yeah, they okay. bite on the edge of the stall and oh, with their okay. teeth and lean back and gulp air. And right, okay. It was called a stereotypy at the time. We now know it's a compulsive disorder. And we found a cure for it, and it was like, wow, you know, so three of us, the horse owner, Dr. Schuster and myself, changed our careers at that instant. It was just a sort of uh, bolt from the blue, a lightning strike almost. Huh. And I went from anesthesia to behavior. Dr. Schuster, who was studying drugs of addiction, very prestigious pharmacology professor, he went to studying behaviors of addiction, and the owner of the horse the first horse we did, we did lots of them, but the first horse, she left her career in yeah. a highly paying executive position and, and did a PhD in biochemistry. Wow. Changed everyone's lives. Who would have thought a horse would have you guys <laughs> change every direction, right? <laughs> yeah, and I'm still uh, interested in horses. I still consult on horses, still do some research in that direction. I've made some more discoveries in horses. And in fact, I have another horse experiment coming up in the next month where we're hoping to try a completely novel treatment on a cribber that we have on the campus here called, his name is Tom. He's an avid cribber and we want to try out a brand new theory, which is kind of cool. Wow, you're such an innovator, Dr. Uh, <laughs> Dodman. Now, you, among the 10 patents, you have about 10 patents, I think, that you hold for uh, behavior modification treatments. Is there a couple that stands out that you think puts a stop to aggressive behavior? I mean, uh, I guess I'm wondering more about the dogs, but I guess it will well, help with other animals as well. Of course, yeah. Well, actually, we do have sort of three patents that center around the use of uh, drugs in the Prozac family, you know, so-called selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Oh, gotcha. And okay. to treat aggression in domestic animals. And we tried to find a home for that patent. But when we went to the drug companies, you know, from Pfizer and on up and on down and whatever, Actually, Pfizer was the one with their drug Zoloft who was most interested, and it went right up to the board level, I'm told. Um, they were very interested on the shop floor and at the middle management level. When it got to the board, the board said, well, wait a minute, you know, if you treat a dog with Zoloft and it bites uh -huh. somebody, they could come after us because we have deep pockets. Oh, I thought, oh, take a chance, take a chance, because actually... Increased aggression is not a feature of the use of that type of drug. When you increase serotonin in the brain, aggression goes down, not up. And in 25 years or more of using that type of drug to treat aggression in dogs, I've never huh. been able to authenticate a case where aggression was increased. Well, isn't serotonin, that's the hormone, the happy hormone, no? It's so-called neuromodulator. It's not really a hormone. Some people call it a neurotransmitter. And it's not so much happy as mood stabilizing. So when gotcha. they first invented this kind of drug, they called them antidepressants. But then they realized they could also treat mania as well, which is kind of the opposite direction. And so mm. if your mood is too high, as in uh, manic mode, it will yeah. bring you back to earth. And if your mood is too low, as in depression, it will bring you back to earth. So it stabilizes mood. And dogs who get aggressive, they get into, you know, sort of ferocious state, I sometimes say. They get their knickers in a twist and get all sort of hackles are up and the teeth are buried. Yeah. You know, and if you can stabilize that and reduce their impulsivity and make them a little bit more confident in themselves, they don't need to act that way. The result is a decrease in aggression. And sometimes 
uh-huh. really dramatic. You know, I remember uh-huh. one case, a Dalmatian who was biting his owners 43 times a week. He's biting his owner 43 it, times a week. 43 times a week. And uh, well, we sent that in as part of a series to a journal and they said, you've got to be kidding, can you check it? So we went back, we checked our records, called the owner. Yeah, that was true. Put the dog on Prozac. After that, there was no further aggression for the six months that we followed the dog. It just went away. So you could say that dog yeah. had a chemical imbalance, right, that his right. serotonin level was too low, and we put it back to where it should be. Hmm. But are, are a lot of vets using this now, or I guess you can't until... It's hard to tell, but um, more than ever, you know, there's a lot of dogs coming in to me these days, and they're already being treated with, you know, usually Prozac. Mm. And, but the thing is, the, the vets in practice sometimes haven't used it enough to kind of know what to do when you know, the first shot doesn't work. So, right. you know, we get involved anyway, and sometimes people are using too low a dose, sometimes too high a dose, and we sort of um, straighten them out and actually have other strategies too to manage things of that nature. But it's not all about drugs. You know, our worst critics would say, oh, you go to the coming school of <laughs> medicine to see Dr. Dobbin and his guys, yeah, he'll give a Prozac to a dog who jumps up too much. No, we don't. You know, if you can fix it with behavior modification therapy, we do. We involve, you know, our treatments involve increasing exercise, switching diet, ensuring unclear communication, you know, proper control, proper leadership, environmental enrichment, fixing any underlying medical problems that can contribute. And somewhere down the line, maybe a nutraceutical or a pharmaceutical agent. Well, that's good that you're open to, you know, the other side of it, too. So, both sides, I think. Well, we do everything. It's kind of really a holistic approach. Yeah, exactly. Meaning, exactly. whole animal, whole lifestyle fix, not just a quick double with a drug. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> well, we're just going to go on a quick break, and when we get back, we'll talk about your new exciting research project that I heard about. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Calling all pet product manufacturers and pet experts. Let the public relations and marketing professionals at Whitegate PR get you featured in the news. I'm Dana Humphrey at Whitegate PR, and we have been specializing in pet product PR for over 10 years and can get your brand featured in the media from TV to radio to print to blogs. You can find out more at www.whitegatepr.com. Amazing Pet Expos is coming to a city near you. Admission is always free and your pet is welcome. Shopping, adoptions, free nail trims, discounted shots and microchipping, agility, a pet costume contest, and much more. Plus, meet the guys from Animal Planet's hit TV series Tank and Pit Boss online at AmazingPetExpos.com. Bring your pets to the Pet Expo. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Save a Pooch. And we are talking with renowned veterinarian Dr. Nicholas Dodman about canine behavior and how his work can be the rock in helping rescue dogs have successful adoptions. Now, you're currently researching the behavior problems connected with canine euthanasia, and that is awesome that that could really help the rescue organizations. Can you tell us about that project? 
Yeah, well, you know, as well as being um, sort of veterinary clinician and scientist, um, mm -hmm. I'm also a welfareist, you know, bordering on, you know, almost an animal rightist. I mean, I yeah. have a lot of yeah. welfare causes. And, you know, when you think that there are, let's put it in perspective, 9 million puppies are born every year in the United States, 4 million yeah. of those are surrendered to the nation's shelters and pounds. Yep. And... Yeah, the figure about the number who escape alive for the pound is a little bit in the air, but um, one figure was 2.2 million of those 4 million that are surrendered don't make it out alive. They're put down in the kill shelters. Yes. Uh, I think that figure might be slightly lower these days. It might be in the, you know, between 1.5 and 2 million. But the fact is, when you put that in perspective, that the biggest killer of dogs is cancer, other than behavior, and cancer kills like 500,000 a year. Mm. It means behavior is killing, you know, and how does behavior kill? It means there's a behavior that the owners cannot live with, even something as simple yes. as yes. house soiling. And they say, I'm done with this dog. House smells like a latrine. He's out of here. They might tie him to the pole outside the shelter and the people come there that morning and say, oh, look at this. Another one dropped off and they bring him in. And if they don't find a home for him within X period of time, you know, he gets killed in ways that I don't like anyway. So I thought, well, oh boy. Rather than just, you know, there's a fire engine service, which, are, which is, you know, very meritorious that people try very hard to go out there and find them homes, and that's a jolly good thing to do. But the thing uh -huh. is, I'm trying to go further upstream, and that is, why are people having these problems? Because when you think about it, mm -hmm. a person and a dog is what they call a dyad, like it takes two to tango. The oh. person <laughs> yeah. will influence the dog's behavior. And what the dog dog does will influence the person and that they're actually bouncing off each other and reacting. So yes. I wanted to look at that component. You know, just a simple thing would be, you know, if you're an anxious person, yep. a dog could possibly pick up on that and become more anxious in certain situations because of your concern. doesn't mean you're a bad person, but, you know, even something like empathy, you know, you can have too much of a good thing and, uh, you know, weigh in too heavily. Or, on the other hand, if you are a person who, and there are lots of them around, I'm afraid, who spare the rod <laughs> and spoil the child type thing with your dog, oh, you know, maybe that could lead yeah. to aggression, which leads to surrender, which leads to euthanasia. So, we're looking at it in, at the, um, and it's a website that's currently down for renovation. Um, it's going to be up on Monday. Actually, the study begins on Monday, this Monday coming. It's Friday now, three, three oh, days. Oh, really? It's it's the, the whole website has been revamped. Now. And you can reach it either, the long way around is all one word, center for caninebehaviorstudies.org, or the quick way would be drdodman.org, standing for org. And it's a yeah. non-for-profit operation. Nobody's making any money out of this. It does require some investment. We've tried to raise funds from you know, pet food companies and actually yeah. got some money from Maddie's Fund and so on. Oh, that's so good. Good for that. There are costs. You know, we will need a statistician at the end of the road. There's been a lot of starts because we're using a fancy electronic data capture system. Uh -huh. But what we're going to do on the website on Monday is ask people to fill in questionnaires. You know, as few as 50 questions, just hit a button, yes, no, yes, no, or and as many as 100. Who are these people ideally? Like, what, are these like pet uh, owners? Or pet owners. And does it have to be a rescue owner or does it matter? No, anyone. Anyone okay. who owns a dog. You know, there's sort of you know, something like 73 million dogs in the country and... A lot of them have just one owner, but some have two owners, so there's lots of owners out there. Any of those 50, 60 million people who have a dog or two can mm -hmm. fill it in. And we want really the primary caregiver for that dog because they're the one who's going to have the most influence on, on its behavior. Yeah, absolutely. And we want it to be that person who fills in questions about their 
personality there, human aspects. It's all in confidence. Nothing is divulged. The person becomes a number, not a yeah. name. But they tell them a thing called the 10-item personality inventory. That's 10 questions, okay. which is a validated questionnaire of human personality. They fill in a thing called the emotional regulation questionnaire, ERQ, to determine how stable they are. Because yeah. instability of mood, you know, if you have fluctuating mood, that could influence the behavior. Again, in complete confidence. They fill in for the dog behavior, the uh. so-called Canine Behavior and Research Questionnaire 42, which is abbreviated to CBARC, C-B-A-R-Q 42, which is huh. a validated canine behavior questionnaire uh, developed by my co-researcher on this project, Dr. James Serp, I call him Serpel, but some people say Serpel, uh -huh. from University of Pennsylvania. He's a superlative scientist, um, PhD, formerly at Cambridge University in Britain. So two Brits working together. And actually, <laughs> Sam Gosling, who developed the Tippy, the Ten-Item Personality Inventory, is also Oh, brilliant. yeah, I heard about them. Okay. So people will fill in these questions. This is a longitudinal study, and we'll be accumulating input. will be over the first year, and then we'll continue to ask people questions every six months after they signed up until either the gates of the study close or maybe if we get funding, we might continue it even further down the road. Oh, so it'll be way, like it'll be in the years then that you're It's going to be a couple of years. The fact is we'll yeah. get results up front because, you know, people will be signing up on Monday uh -huh. and six months later, we'll probably be doing an interim analysis and we'll have preliminary results that we can email to all the people who participated. So it's a little bit like a study that I'm involved in and I'm the experimental animal in a study mm -hmm. by Dr. Walter Willett from Harvard who's looking at uh, nutrition and health. And it's okay. called uh, something like the health professional study because they know the people who've done medical, veterinary or dental degrees know how to fill in check sheets, you know, multiple choice. And there's a lot of retention in that. So they've got a good database. And I'm, I've been an experimental animal in that study for 20 years. Jeez. And they're finding out things like, you know, um, the red things, the carotene type substances and tomatoes will help offset prostate cancer and so on. So we hope to be studying, finding out how people's behavior and, you know, their attitudes, whatever, how that affects the dog. And we, but we already kind of know that it does mm. in a small way. Yeah. And Dr. Yeah. Serpo has done a couple of studies. I've done a couple of studies. There have been some real findings and some very tantalizing results. And the point is this. If you, the person, can be informed, we're going to shout this from the mountaintops. It won't just be published in a little quiet scientific backwater. If we have Yeah, get results, it out there. Yeah. We're going to get it out there and people are going to know, you know, if, if you behave in this way towards your dog, like I would say, for example, if you use tactics that you commonly see on television as to how to train dogs, the chances are your dog will become aggressive. So you Sorry, what was that, that if you use which? Tactics that you see on a sort of um, particular television shows that are instructing you on how to interact with dogs. And yeah. a lot of the stuff is wrong. So, for example, current thinking is there is no such thing as dominance. There is no such thing as alpha. Dogs don't interact with people using, quote, pack mentality. Uh -huh. They don't want to rule the household. That when a dog is a person, it's really coming out of conflict. Really a misunderstanding. It's due more to anxiety and trust than anything to do with pack order. Right. You don't go around barking at your dog and trying to be the pack leader because there is no such thing as pack. And people who say that there is are uh, off base with current scientific thinking. I so have heard to, about that, and yeah, that that does interest me because it's it's going against what 
a lot of mainstream theories say. So that's it's good that you're covering that. And uh, yeah. So we'll find that's out. You know, people who use punitive methods. We have a one survey on that. And if you're using, you know, choke chain or prong collar or electric shock or alpha rolls uh-huh. and yelling at your dog and pin it on the ground, we believe, and it's actually reasonably well established already. But we hope to, you know, prove it in spades uh-huh. that that will actually lead to aggression. It won't. It might uh-huh. solve it in the short course. You might stop that in the instant, but down the road it's going to cause problems. And that's why we're looking down the road. We hope to be in a much better position to help people to understand how their behavior influences their dog so therefore they can correct their dog's behavior rather than just surrender the dog. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. In what capacity do you think um, your project can help rescue dog organizations? Because I see a big role that this could play once it's out. Yeah, number one, we think, we know that the CBARC 42 test is a valid indicator and predictor of dogs' behavior uh-huh. going into shelters. We know that. It's been, it's been published by Dr. Serpel. Hmm. Um, so we know that's valid for the shelter dog situation. We hope we can influence, that is, reduce the number of dogs being surrendered to shelters. Yeah. We think that we might, we really sincerely hope that we can develop a test where if the dog has a CBOC 42 filled in regarding its behavior yep. and a potential adopter fills in the, what I call the tippy, the 10 item personality inventory and the ERQ, that because of the findings, we'll be able to better place a dog with an owner. In other words, it would be a much more scientific match.com type That thing. is cool. So you're matching it based on your Science. scientific project. That's Not awesome. Not just uh, putting a finger in the wind and saying, I think this dog goes to this person. <laughs> and then you can um, you know, reduce this uh, return rate, so-called recidivism rate, which you know, arguably runs at about 10% of dogs that are sent out are subsequently boomerang back in. And it's one of the yep. banes of, of shelters and adoption is that they come back sometimes in greater numbers than that. If you can have a more intelligent match, we hope to put a dent in that too. So bottom line is, if you can affect the input into the shelter and ensure that the output stays output, um, then you will have less euthanasia of dogs. Oh, I can see that. That's awesome. But the thing is, like this, um, I don't know the term that you, the questionnaire that's for the dogs, uh, oh, the sea bark. Yeah. The sea bark. If that dog has been bounced around, so no one would really have a grasp of that dog's personality, no? Uh, well, I believe you can assess personality um, using sea bark actually based on um, the shelter people's evaluation of the dog. Oh, okay. Okay, so you don't have to. They're asking, now. you know, the questions like, you know, does the dog have an issue over food? Um, you know, does he growl at you here? Does he do this? Does he do that? Does he seem to be anxious when you leave him alone? I mean, there are ways that you can actually complete that. We did gotcha. a study a long time ago, actually, um, a master's degree thesis that I was a mentor on for a student in um, California, as a matter of fact, Pomona College, I think it was. And it was, what can you predict separation anxiety from a dog's huh. behavior in the pound? Can you say this dog is going to get it? Mm. And the answer is using this little test that the master's degree student designed with input from all of her mentors. Yeah. It turns out the answer is yes with 100% accuracy. Wow. So it's not the fault of the adopter. The dog in the shelter already is displaying behaviors that mean that you can predict with 100% accuracy that dog is likely to develop separation anxiety, which means you can now tell the person how they need to 
work with that dog. You, know, you could have a handout and say, exactly. what you need to do is to enrich the environment when you're away. You need to you know, play soothing music. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. I mean, there's a, there's a ton of things you can do preemptively to, pre- uh-huh. to actually help it to go away rather than stay the same or get worse. Yeah. Yep. My own dog, I'm, I'm not only the president of the hair club for men, but also a sufferer, uh-huh. as I've got, supposedly. Right, because my dog, Rusty, was adopted from a shelter, and when he came to me, he had separation anxiety. Yep. And I believe there are two directions they can go, and one's up and the other's down. But he doesn't yep. have it now. Good for you. Now, what's but the name of, this, people, of that questionnaire? Uh, CBARC, Canine Behavior and Research Questionnaire, C-B-A-R-Q. Oh, it's the same one for the um, to figure out which one is the would have social anxiety. It's the same one. That wasn't the one for predicting the CBARC forty two, the abbreviated version of the CBARC, does have questions about separation anxiety okay. in there. Okay. But that wasn't the same as the um, master's degree thesis. That was a, a, different, a different method. One. That was oh, video okay. analysis of the dog in the shelter. Okay. Okay. That is amazing. Now, do you have any tips for foster volunteers or adopters that have a dog with an attitude? I mean that. I mean that would encompass a lot. <laughs> I guess aggression, excess. Well, I think that you know they could easily you know do the CBARC. I mean, what it is CBARC is that they have a database now yeah. on something north of seven thousand dogs, and if you average it out over all uh-huh. those dogs, you've got a pretty good idea what average is. You know, if you measured the height of all males in the United States, you know, that's the average height. So then if you take an individual and he comes back and he's six feet ten, you can say he's taller than the average person with great confidence. Yes. So the bigger your database is normal, the better your comparisons are. So this database is so big in so many areas from aggression to anxiety, from compulsions and whatever, that when you compare your individual dog with this large database, yeah. you can see, and if you do a CBARC, it's flagged. You get one flag or two flags depending on how far out of whack your dog is in it mm. or different from normal in, in any particular area. So you might find, you know, my dog is perfectly fine in all areas except right. he is displaying a higher than average level of, you know, growling, snapping to us at home, which huh. is called, now called conflict aggression. That is so fascinating. And all of this they can find on drdogman.org? They can, well, actually, the, the website, uh, yeah, drdogman.org, takes you to the Center for Canine Behavior Studies. And actually, it's, I've seen the, the new lineup of the website, and it's very cool with you know, changing images. It's got videos on there. It's got banner I headlines. saw your videos. Got, that was it's great. It's got the um, yeah. entrance into the study, what you have to do. You can register your dog. Yep. There's a thing there called Dr. Dodman's blog where you know it's sort of an entertaining website and you can register your dog, just you know, have fun. But the thing is you can actually then enter the study if you want to. You can read about the study. You can check a box and say, yes, I agree to these terms. And understanding, you know, understanding that it's in complete confidence that there's, no one's going to divulge any personal information about a person. Okay, yeah, that's but, good. You know, that's you, important. You, they have an email so they can contact you and say, after six months, we're back to you. That email is not going to go to, say, a pet food company so they can deluge you with advertisements. That's not going to yeah, happen. Yeah. It's just between you and the center. And, okay. and then you go into the study. And apparently people love filling questionnaires. There's one of our partners in this, uh, someone who approves everything we're doing and is helping us out is Dr. Brian Hare, who's famous for his finger pointing experiment where, you know, when huh. he point 
to a place where food was hidden under a, um, a bucket, and the dog would then see that he was signaling and go to that place. So there was um, a thought at the time, it may have modified a bit, but that, that meant that, that dogs had evolved to understand our signaling and gestures. So it was big news. On the strength of his uh, newfound fame and celebrity, with yeah. that study, he was all over every news. Thing. He started a website called Dognition, and Dognition has a method of evaluating dogs too. I think it's more like how your dog measures up in terms of, you know, sort of playfulness and interactiveness and like that. It's more like oh, okay. how does your how is yeah. your, so? There's apparently if you sign up on Center for Canine Behavior Studies, Dr. Harris very graciously agreed to give a free sort of personality evaluation on your dog, which would normally, you know, be a sort of 19 or $20 value if you went straight to Dognition. But if oh, you go through the nice. center, you, that's a bonus for joining up as well as, you know, getting information back in the future. Another person who's joined on our scientific advisory board is Dr. Ian Dunbar, who's a good friend of mine over 40 years, and he's really, I think of him as being the piper of dog training, even though, in his own words, he has triple doctorates. You don't need a triple doctorate in order to train dogs, but that's uh-huh. been his area is on the prevention side of things. Uh, right. He yeah. founded the Association of Pet Dog Trainers. He founded the American Society for Veterinary Animal Behavior. He's been a real mover and shaker in the world of dog behavior and training, and he's one of our scientific advisory board. You know. Um, okay. Wow, so the, guys, the people can look on the website, they can look up who are the scientific advisory board, yeah, what have they done, yeah. why are they here, and, and they would find exactly. out that you know we have pretty heavy guns on yeah, board. Yeah, sounds This study like we're it. going to do, this is just the inaugural study, this, this Center for Canine Behavior Study, is not, it's not the Center for Canine Behavior Study, it's studies. So this is the first of many, and we might be soliciting for people to do genetic studies. We might be soliciting to do studies on the welfare of dogs in shelters and how they can best be looked after when they're yeah. in that, that basically captive awesome. situation yeah. to prevent them from deteriorating, uh, because that does happen. You know, when yeah. you're locked up, the dog's behavior does deteriorate, which makes them less adoptable. So it becomes a catch-22. We might want to look at that in the future too. Absolutely, you uh, you have a strong team behind you, so. This, I don't doubt it'll uh, reach somewhere far. But we are out of time, so I do encourage you to take a look at Dr. Dodman's work, drdogman.org. Dodman. Dog- I love Dodman. Dodman. I should change my name. <laughs> he needs to t- I was introduced at the Smithsonian Dodman. Association as Dr. Dodman, and everybody roared with laughter, but I thought maybe I should change my name. That would be awesome. <laughs> There's also thepetdocs.com. Yeah, thepetdocs.com is my own website with my okay. wife, Linda, and she's my business partner on that venture. Perfect. All righties. Well, thank you so much for talking to us about your work. And our yeah. show producer, Mark Winter, for making this show possible. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for a show, please email me at beverly at petliferadio.com. So until next time, spread animal compassion. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand only on PetLifeRadio.com.